0: We're back with another episode of Franchise My Business, the podcast for Franchise Awards, hosted by Franchise Awards. I'm your host, Kevin Oldham, and we're going to talk about one of the topics that is near and dear to my heart, which is wellness. It's my honor and uh, privilege today to have Ross Franklin On the show, he is the founder and CEO of Pure Green Franchise. Chances are you probably recognize the logo when you see it on our videos. He's also a best-selling author of the book called Founder Success Formula, top-ranked entrepreneur under Forbes Next 1000, keynote speaker, and just a heck of a great guy. So, Ross, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. It's my pleasure. Let's go back to the origin story because our show, a lot of people are thinking about franchising or they're early in their journey. And so the founder story is a lot of times where all the nuggets of gold are because that's where we make all of our mistakes and things
1: like that, right? So when did you launch your business, this business? So I started back in 2014 in in New York City, one of the most competitive cities in the world. Yeah. So almost a decade ago in New York City. 2014, what were you doing before you started this business? So I used to be in the fitness business okay. and owned my own health club. I sold it, started my own consulting company mm-hmm. and started consulting for different wellness brands, big box gyms, 50,000 square foot gyms, and got into yoga studios, oh, Pilates cool. studios. Finally, juice bars came to the realization that when you look at optimal health, 80% of getting results is weighted in nutrition. And I wanted to make the most massive impact on people's health as possible. And that became the foundation for starting Pure Green. Oh, man, I love that. I love that. And yeah, you're right. Like as somebody who's always
0: tried to like optimize nutrition, exercise and everything, it's like everybody always thinks, hey, go to the gym as a solution or go for a run as a solution. And yes, that's part of the equation. But the biggest part is your nutrition, what you're putting in your body. And so it's kind of cool that you went from, hey, I'm going to do these big box gyms and all this stuff to, I'm just going to focus on stuff people put in their body, right? Food is medicine, as I always like to say. So let's talk. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about, okay. So let's talk about why in 2014, let's just kind of back up. Did you build this business to franchise first and foremost? Did not start as a franchise. Got, accidental franchising, accidental franchisor were
1: yeah, just started with brick and regular brick and mortar locations. Okay. And the focus was exceptional products. Yeah. So wanted products that two two criteria, one, unparalleled taste, two high performance nutrition, and developed some killer products. and we built a loyal following in New York City and built it from there. Then 2016 comes along we start our wholesale division. So we start wholesaling our cold press juice mm-hmm. and our cold press shots, selling it to gyms, buying trucks. And at the time had 500 accounts were self distributing, made a big mistake and realized that when you look at the wholesale business, it's a distribution game. Yeah. Once we realized that just started locking up distributors and grown to today. Now we have over 50 sports teams as clients, really? 30 college teams as clients, SpaceX as a client. And then we didn't start franchising until 2020. Oh, really? So in the middle of pandemic. The, yep. That's right. That's a common theme, man.
0: Like there's so many of our guests that started franchising during the pandemic. What was your tipping point where you're like, Hey, I think we're going package to package this
1: up and start offering it to other entrepreneurs. So what it was is both divisions of the company. At one time the company was just one, right? We had our brick and mortar stores, yep. privately owned. We had a thriving wholesale business. Mm-hmm. Both divisions were growing rapidly. Yep. It came to the point where when you look at our mission, which is to build healthier communities around the globe by connecting people with superfoods, in order to do that, I realized that we need the best people. How do we get the best people? That's the franchise model. Yep. So with the franchise model, we could partner up with amazing operators people who share and live in alignment with our mission and in order to do that it needed a hundred percent of my full focus and this wholesale business it's a lot to juggle yeah so i brought my mentor in as the ceo to run the wholesale division to free me up to put a hundred percent of my time and focus into building the franchise business Uh started it during covid and now we're on pace we have 100 locations that are either open or in development right now oh, man that's super cool that's super cool yeah because like i've had your product before like i, I don't know where
0: i bought it but i've had it and it wasn't at a franchise location it was retail somewhere right and i was like oh man as a matter of fact the way i knew you guys was because of your retail products it wasn't because of your franchise because i don't think you have a look we're in kansas city i don't think you have locations here yet yet we've had your product, which is kind of cool, but they're totally different business models. It's just so much different. And it's cool that you saw that as a, like, hey, I got to commit to making this franchise thing as successful as possible because it's completely different. It's like you're pouring into entrepreneurs instead of selling stuff to big chains who don't really care about you, right? (laughs) You're just another vendor to them. Whereas to your franchisees, you're there you're not legally their partner, but you're as close as you can get and you're their lifeline to success,
1: which is amazing. Yeah, we look at our franchisees as partners. And to your point with our wholesale division, we realized that we were looking at all the competition in the juice bar franchise industry. And we saw that most of these juice bars were making the juice in house, having to take on large size, large square footage locations. Spending high labor costs to make the juice. We saw that going on and we realized, hey, we have national distribution, dozens of distributors. This would be a disruptive innovation in the franchise industry. So we actually sell the cold-pressed juice and shots directly to our franchisees, not making any money, just at no cost. They get it for cost. And the bulk of our business really is our superfood smoothies Mm -hmm. and our acai bowls. Yeah. So selling the juice, the pre-bottled juice to our franchisees allows them to focus on the core business.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're also got to think like, I've got an independent juice bar that I love here in Kansas City. And I always think about how much spoilage they probably have and just their produce and all that, because it does, theirs doesn't even pasteurize. I mean, it's just like made right there, right? And so therefore it doesn't have a long shelf life. And I know it. I know they don't go through all of it. I know they don't go through all of it. And so there's a end spoilage aspect and that's pretty cool. I'm guessing through, you're still going to have spoilage. Don't get me wrong, but by controlling the manufacturing process, at least for the juice product, you can kind of reduce that for your franchisees and provide them with a more simple model. And so your franchisees, what they're kind of known for is making like amazing, amazing acai bowls. Like the, by the way, the photos on their website are awesome. Go check them out. They look very delicious, and the smoothies look good as well. But the acai bowls look delicious. And so they're hand-making these, and that's kind of what their core mission is, right? And then come in if you want to
1: buy juice retail. You can pull it out of the refrigerator. And back to the juice, just to comment on that. Mm -hmm. When we started making the juice raw, like you you see at your local juice bars, only has a three-day shelf life. And you're absolutely right. A lot of waste. We found it's 25% to 30% waste. Terrible. That's huge. That's huge. That's not a small thing. Like that's a lot of your cogs. <laughs> yep. And you either sell out a product every day, which is a good thing, but then people get guests come in and they're like, they want, they there's can't get stuff. their favorite flavor mm-hmm. or you have a ton of waste and is always waste yeah. with that. What we did to counter that is a process called HPP, which stands for high pressure processing. And it involves using water pressure, equalized water pressure, Mm -hmm. same pressure as as the bottom of the ocean. And what it does is it kills the harmful pathogens that are in there. It locks in the nutrition and it gives it a much longer shelf life. So our juice from when we manufacture it is good for 60 days and there's no heat. So all that nutrition is intact, but it allows us to, to wholesale the product, move it around the country safely. Man, that's really cool. I wasn't familiar with that process and 60 days
0: versus three is probably a difference in what makes it so that you can have a scalable juice business or not. (laughs) Because if you're dealing with like 25% waste, I mean, food's expensive, particularly produce. Produce is not going to get cheaper. It's going to continue to expand in terms of price and everything. Man, that's that's really cool. I love that. Do you guys have any sort of like recurring uh, revenue component associated? Like, is there a juice club or
1: anything cool like that for your customers, any sort of recurring revenue? So it's mainly driven by – so it's in-store traffic, Mm -hmm. and then we have online delivery traffic, so Uber Eats, DoorDash. We don't really have any type of subscription or membership, but it's funny you mention that because I was just actually having a meeting about that today to talk about doing that. So definitely something on our radar for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, there was a local joy, juice company here in Kansas city, some friends opened it. And when they first started, we were getting subscription deliveries all the time. And I, my wife ordered it, but I loved it because I always knew that I would have this, it was called Earl's elixir or something. And I always knew I got two of those every week and it was awesome. And one day it stopped and I was kind of bummed. I'm like, Hey, what happened to the juice subscription? Because uh, I liked having that cold-pressed juice that I knew was made kind of fresh for me, showing up at my house and didn't have to think. Yeah, I, I would encourage you guys to, to look at that because I think that there's a lot of people. Our house was one of those people that subscribed to a juice. So let's talk about other opportunities. So are you guys exclusively in the United States right now? Right now, just in the U.S. Okay. Are you uh, seeking international expansion or is it going to be one of those things that kind of happens organically? And, you know, if you find the right partners or is it a proactive expansion strategy for you all? Or do you feel
1: like the United States is just good enough for there's a lot of opportunity still? So we, we are in talks with several different groups cool. internationally. Yeah. So in the, we're looking at the Middle East right now and really looking for the right a master structure, the right master franchisors to take it on and take over a whole country and develop that country.
0: Yeah. Because I was sitting there thinking the juice component, you're probably not going to ship that internationally. Like they'd probably have to figure out how to manufacture it locally and all those things, which probably find a co-packer or somebody that you can contract manufacture would probably work out pretty well. I want to talk about what your book is about. What is your book? Of- sure. What's your book about? So founder success so then-
1: formula, talk to us about it. Yeah, so I really wrote the book as a roadmap. With really what it contains is it's designed for our franchisees. Oh, and It really? just has it's just, it really is successful formula. Yeah. So it's all the standards and strategies for success, and talks a lot about self development. It talks a lot about just really the basics, right? Mm-hmm. It talks about just the importance of when you look at tonality when you look at just body language talk it's as basic as that stemming out into just planning focusing on goals how to strategize and how to plan for your business so there's a lot of it's designed to give actionable strategies for your business so not necessarily for Purine, but our franchisees love it and get yeah. a lot out of it. Yeah, but even people in in other industries are applying it in in their respective industries. and so getting great feedback on it.
0: No, I love that. And then it's like, hey, you can give it to your franchisees, particularly if first business they've ever owned, and a lot of times people buy a franchise because it provides that framework, right? And then it's like, hey, here's the block and tackaway of actually how you do business. Because I think a lot of people join a franchise and it depends on I mean I've seen varying degrees right where sometimes they'll have internal like business consultants who will help them with the business aspect like think about how you run a business just overall business principles and sometimes people don't come into franchise ownership with those principles that foundation right and then you get people who come in and they're like, yeah, I like this is very basic for me. Like, I, I, I want to buy like 20 of these things, right? I'm going to own the entire whatever, Long Island or whatever it is. So, varying degrees, but it's nice to have like that playbook for people. And furthermore, it just makes you an authority and it probably helps drive inquiries at least to your franchise
1: system. Exactly right. Yeah. And I'll tell you this that. I've been wanting to write a book for a while. I've been wanting to take what's in my brain and just put it down on paper and make it available. Yeah. But the driving force behind writing the book was actually I was having a meeting with our PR team, and I was a little frustrated with them. I said, guys, we need more national press. How can we make this happen? We want all the top publications. Right. right you guys know what we want. Yep. What do you need? And they're like, it'd be easier if you were an authority. Were author. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. And like, oh, really? Okay. Challenge accepted. Yeah. Literally a week later, because I had a lot of the materials available. Boom, just self published it, threw it on Amazon, became bestseller right away. I was like, there you go, guys. Now let's make it happen. So hold on. You did your book in a week? L- like, you, you know, already had not, this, this is going to sound crazy. No, it doesn't. I, mean, you can I not, think it's you awesome. Can, you, can ask my, you, can ask, you can ask my wife, yeah. but I really wrote it in one weekend. And then just a couple of days of editing, and that's it, <laughs> dude. That's a- I get things done when I want to do yeah, something. Yeah. I get it done. That's dude, it. That's
0: awesome. I yeah, I haven't written the book. It's I think it's in my in my bucket list of things to do. But I have many friends you have, and none of them got it done that quick. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Like, that's pretty impressive, man. I'm going to have to go check that out. So, that's cool. Yeah, but it's really
1: – I had a lot of the content. Like, I've written here, right? articles and, oh, and yeah, forums yeah. and that type of stuff. So, I took some of the stuff from there. I just wove it together. And it, it's – for me, the way I did it, it's a short book, yeah. but it's to the point. There's no fluff in there. I read books and I, I really don't like it when the authors are just giving so many examples yeah. and stories just to emphasize the points. I'm like, dude, what's the point? Yeah. Just give me the information, yep. give me the actionable strategies. Like, cause if they really just wrote a book based on that, mm-hmm. right? It's really only gonna be a hundred pages. Yeah. I don't want the fluff and there's no fluff in my book. It's straight to the point, it's the information. <laughs> yeah. If you actually just get to the point, it doesn't take as long as most people make it out to be. No,
0: I agree with like 1 million percent. As a matter of fact, the book that I don't have it here right now, but have you read Buy Back Your Time yet?
1: No. Oh
0: gosh, It's so cool. It's such a phenomenal book by Dan Martell. Uh, he teaches and coaches SaaS founders and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I know Dan. I've spoken. Oh,
0: okay, him. cool. Yeah, he's a super cool guy, right? Got yeah. great founder story, all that stuff. But his book is amazing. And it's one of the few ones I've read that I'm like, you know what, if you cut this and you got rid of some of the anecdotes, like it actually would suck. It, it wouldn't suck, but it would just be boring because his anecdotes are the anchors that I keep using in my head. And I'm like, oh yeah, that story. I don't want to be like that guy. So I think sometimes those anecdotes work because it's like a book about buying back your time. Like everybody's written that book already, right? Like time management is a boring topic until you throw badass stories in there. And it's like, oh, hold on. I definitely don't want to be that guy. So it's as cool as Dan. I, I've followed Dan since his Clarity FM days like a decade ago, right? And I'm like, hey, that dude's really smart, really smart. So it's cool to see him write a book. For SaaS companies, uh, he's the guy. Yeah, and he, I guarantee it took him longer than a weekend. <laughs> yep. I mean you're balancing all that while balancing a, a, a growing franchise system. <laughs> so let's talk about family you've got a wife you got kiddos got I have a, a
1: six month old son
0: holy smokes so you're like right in son. it congratulations man as uh
1: thank you I don't know if
0: you heard I, I said mute everything and then I got one text message earlier that was an emergency text message from a family member that was my wife probably calling to talk about our son who starts middle school next week and I will tell you it goes really quick so enjoy it have a lot of fun but also know that it's pretty cool when you're an entrepreneur building your business in front of your children. Like for me, I'm like giving them an MBA by osmosis of what it means to own a business. And they may or may not want to be business owners, but at least they're getting a front row seat to what it's like being an entrepreneur's family. So how do you balance it all, man? I mean, I know how I do it, but you're six months six months in, sleep's, not, sleep, sleep's hard to come by, I'm guessing, in your house right now
1: yeah but my wife is doing a fantastic job just taking care of him and some fridays i'll usually work from home yeah and but it's working out well it's
0: working out well yep yeah cool 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 yeah i think a lot of i think a lot of people when they they become parents for the first time they're entrepreneurs there's a there's almost a, a shift in who they are as a person I know that definitely happened to me. It's actually one of the reasons I became an entrepreneur was became because I became a, a parent and I needed a little bit more autonomy in my life. So I felt like I could be the best parent I could. So it can be, a, it can be something that calls you to action. I think a lot of people look at parenthood and they're like, oh my gosh, how do entrepreneurs, parents, and all this stuff? I'm like, dude, that's just what you do. I mean, you're a parent, it's just what you do. You just do the work, just like everything else. Just like writing a book.
1: Yeah, that's what I heard, but yeah, for me, i worked hard before yeah. but ever since i had him yeah. now i'm working twice as hard yeah yeah it's
0: good rewarding work though Costs you money you don't get paid for it you get paid for it and in other things way more valuable than money way more valuable than money so what do you guys think next man i mean it's like you've got international opportunities i mean your is your wholesale business still just thriving and rocketing and like where, oh, yeah. where can people go buy your product
1: like what are some of the major national places that people can go buy so one, we have locations open in 15 states, right. so the best experience Go to the is stores. to come visit one of our stores, yeah. get the full in-store experience. Okay. If you can't do that, you can also do Uber Eats, DoorDash okay. from your local Pure Green location. Okay. And you can also just visit our website, so puregreen.com and puregreenfranchise.com. Mm-hmm. If you don't live close to any of our stores, yep. you can have at least have the juice shipped to you. Cool. So you order
0: it direct from you guys. Exactly. Love it. Love yep. it. Love it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So I want to talk about your team because a lot of times in franchise systems, one of the things that people, when they design it, when they build a business to franchise from the ground up, a lot of what they like is the fact that they can have a pretty nimble team to support the enterprise. And then as the enterprise grows, you got to you know scale up and staff up. So what's your team look like right now? Like how many team members do you guys have that your franchisees, uh, kind of your franchisee support team?
1: So it's growing, we keep it lean to me. And when I started franchising, it was really just myself and our our vice president of operations, Michael, and we've just grown and built it out from there. So we have company owned stores in New York and in Florida. We have regional managers to support both areas. Then at first I was handling a lot of the franchise sales at first, and now we brought on a director of franchise development who's doing a phenomenal job. He's got an appointment booker under him and they're just absolutely crushing it. Awesome. Then we are hiring a lot of new people right now just to support our franchisees. The focus right now is just giving the absolute full service, best support Mm -hmm. to our franchise partners. So we're constantly adding new corporate team members on just to help support them. Beautiful, beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, when we were at my last company and we had like 60, 70 employees in, in our building, like 100 team members to support our franchisees throughout the country. And I always told people I'm like our customer person that every one of us comes in and serves every single day, our franchisees, that's it. Like that's our job come in and make their, make that, make them help them get everything that they want in the world. And if we do that, the math, will work, the, the customers will be happy. Like the whole thing will work. But as soon as we lose sight of that and we start thinking somebody else is our customer, maybe the end user, right? I mean, I, I hate to say it, but. The end user, the person drinking the juice, sure, that's your customer, but that's not your most important customer when you're a franchisor. They're just not. It's your franchisees. Yeah. It's your partners. <laughs> that's who yeah. you need to make sure is super happy, taken care of, and then they will take care of the customer. And, and that's a dynamic shift that a lot of founders have a hard time crossing that chasm. How did you cross the chasm? Was that natural for you? I get the feeling it was. You seem like the type of person who mentored, like likes mentoring people.
1: For me, I started franchising. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. So what I always do is, to your point about mentors, I went out and found mentors. Yeah. Went out, found the best, some of the best franchisors. Spoke with them. Some of the best franchisees spoke to them. Just got advice. And to what, to your point, what it comes down to, what everyone t- told me, they're like Ross. There's going to be a lot of things that you're going to be tempted to do. They're like the vendors are going to offer you rebates. Mm-hmm. Like never take them. They're like you need to pass on all the savings directly to your franchisees. You need to maximize their profit. And I really took that advice to heart. Yep. And sure enough, they're absolutely right. Yep. Every vendor in the world is offering rebates. I'm like, nope, don't want to yep. pass the savings directly onto our franchisees because we want our franchisees to be massively profitable. Bingo. And sure sure enough, 90% of all our franchisees have either committed to or started the process of opening up additional pure green locations. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's because their initial locations are super profitable.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Profitable franchisees solve like, Ninety nine percent of the issues I've found, <laughs> it's like yeah. when I mean realistically, it's like if if they're making money and they're and and the system's working, you're you're honoring your promises. Like the relationship works well, and, and most of the time when it doesn't, is it becomes it comes down to economics. It's Like hey, there's some financial stress with the operator, can't pay the rent or whatever, and so that's cool. It's a good philosophy. One that I think I, I wish more people subscribe to. It's cool that you had a mentor that kind of pushed that out initially because. I think a lot of franchisors, when they're building their system, they can have this. You, you probably run a spreadsheet just like we have. It's like, hey, here's what we, okay, I get 200, 300, 400, 500, 1,000, 2,000 locations, right? You start, you start, it almost gets intoxicating on what could happen, the possibilities. And then you've got to make some decisions as you're going through that. It's like, how do we participate in this, and who gets what? And so, I think that's pretty cool that you guys built that into uh, your economic model at the very beginning. Dude, this has been awesome. If people want to learn more about you, like, what's the best place? Whether it's you, your organization, like, what's the best place for them to go to get plugged in? Yes,
1: yeah, so I'll give you a couple resources. Cool. One is PureGreenFranchise.com website. Social media is at Pure on Instagram. Okay. My personal handle where everyone can connect with me, Ross F. Franklin on Instagram. And that's it. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, man.
0: Deeply appreciate you joining us. I know that there's going to be people who found value in this, particularly people who probably are ex and franchise wars, people who fall into it, which I think is about 50-50 based on all these conversations we've had. So again, thank you for uh taking time. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, if you got value out of conversation with Ross today, I would just ask for two things. Number one, if you think of somebody who'd benefit from hearing his story, go ahead and text this episode to him right now. And then number two, if you like what we're doing in our show, love it if you smash that subscribe button. Until next time, I'm your host, Kevin Oldham. I hope that you have a phenomenal week and be well.